0: Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I am Zach Davis, and I am once again uh, hosting this show by myself. My co-host Ashley is on a well-deserved vacation this week to Amman, Jordan, so Please continue to send her good vibes, thoughts, and prayers her way. She'll be back next week, and so we'll have a full episode for you then. But this week, I wanted to introduce you to one of my favorite episodes from the past couple of years, and this is a conversation we had about Toni Morrison. This was one of our most popular episodes from 2021, so if you've been listening to the show since then, uh, it's well worth revisiting. And if you are new, first of all, Welcome, and really excited to introduce you to this. So Toni Morrison, beloved author, passed away in 2019. She wrote Song of Solomon, Beloved, a number of other books. And you know, she isn't typically talked about in the same vein as people like Flannery O'Connor Thomas Merton, Graham Greene, Evelyn Waugh—you know these authors that I was taught and think of as these, you know, stalwarts of the Catholic literary imagination—and and, and the question is why? Because Toni Morrison was Catholic, and that influence is all over the place in her novels. Uh, maybe you're thinking, Zach, uh, who are you? Is an authority on this subject. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to take my word for it because we have a great conversation with Nadra Niddle to share with you. And she's the author of the book, Toni Morrison's Spiritual Vision, Faith, Folk tales and feminism in her life and literature. So stick around for that. but first, I do want to give a huge shout out this week to a new patreon supporter. huge thank you to Mike Tierney. he hosts a great show called Pop Culture Catechism that you should check out if you're wherever you're listening to the podcast. but thank you Mike for signing up to support the show uh, We can't do it without you or the rest of our Patreon supporters. And if you want to join Mike, you can visit www.patreon.com America media. All right, now stick around for our conversation with Nadra Niddle.
1: Joining us from L.A. is Nadra Niddle. Nadra is a writer and the author of the forthcoming book, Toni Morrison's Spiritual Vision, Faith, Folktales and Feminism in Her Life and Literature. Welcome to Jesuitical, Nadra. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. And congratulations on the book. We we were talking a little bit, but this actually stemmed from an article that you wrote for America. Is that right?
2: That's correct. A former America editor reached out to me four years ago and asked if I could write about the role of religion and Toni Morrison's book, Song of Solomon and Beloved. So I wrote an article about that. In 2017, when Morrison was still alive, and about two years after that, a press called Fortress Press reached out to me and asked if I could write a whole
1: article based on what I covered in or that a whole book. book. I mean, I'm sorry, a whole book, yes. And we'll we'll link to the article uh, in our show notes that the article was The Ghost of Toni Morrison, A Catholic Writer Confronts the Legacy of Slavery. Um, so apparently you had a lot to mind there to fill it out into a book.
0: Now, before we start, I do have like a pretty sh- embarrassing thing I want to get off my chest, <laughs> Okay, which is that I've not read any Toni Morrison.
2: Oh wow! Uh, okay, but
0: I have read the book and your article now, um, so i I feel I feel primed and ready to go. But just in case there's anyone listening who is also embarrassed of that fact, that glaring hole in my my own personal development and <laughs> education, uh, you're not alone. I'm all, I will try to represent you today. <laughs> what did you major in? Philosophy and theology. Oh, okay. Yeah, and. I was never assigned it in anything in high school or, or college. And I don't know, it's just been, I mentioned an episode or two ago that, you know, there have been, I, I was just staring at the the books that I was supposed to read this summer and and, and Beloved was definitely there. Yeah. Um, so it, it's been staring at me harder <laughs> as this interview has gotten closer and closer. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I have read Beloved, but I, I think that's the only one. So I definitely have a lot to get through too. How did you discover Toni Morrison? Was she someone you've been reading for a long time, or did you come upon her later in life? So I was
2: assigned her first book, The Bluest Eye, when I was in in high school. I think I was a high school senior, and that was the only book I was assigned as a high school student. And then in college, we read, I was an English major, and so we read several of her books in my college literature classes not all of them but pretty much everything her first book the bluest guy came out in 1970 so I think we read all of the books from the 70s the 80s and most of the 90s so quite you know quite a few and then we kind of ran out of time before we could get to the late 90s and some of the books that she came out with in in the 2000s
0: now, for someone who maybe doesn't know much other than they've heard the name Toni Morrison, who is she? And, you know, what are some of her most famous works?
2: So Toni Morrison is an American novelist. Some people would say she's one of the greatest American novelists of our time she was born in the early 1930s she's won the Nobel prize in literature so she's won pretty much the you know the top honors you can think of her most famous books would be the bluest eye it's also one of her most controversial books as well as song of solomon beloved which was turned into a movie starring oprah winfrey
1: and we we want to get into this idea of what it means to be a, a Catholic writer, and if and how those themes play out in her works. But can you start with just a little bit of her her upbringing? Uh, because she she wasn't born Catholic; uh, she converted at a younger age, and she had some other influences there. Uh, so, could you just give us a, a brief overview of that? Yeah. So
2: Toni Morrison, she grew up in this town called Lorraine, Ohio. She lived with both of her parents. Her father came from Georgia. And her mother came from Alabama. And her mother grew up in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, so the AME Church. So when Toni Morrison was a small child, that was pretty much the only church she knew. However, there was a wing of her family that were Catholics. And she was really fascinated by some of the the rituals, the ceremonies of Catholicism, and the aesthetic, she said. And that led her to convert to Catholicism when she was just 12 years old.
1: It's even more embarrassing that you haven't read her now that you hear she's from Ohio. Zach is a very proud (laughs) Ohio. Yes. One of the many reasons I should be embarrassed by
0: this. (laughs) Um, Now, you write in the book, as a woman who believed in magic, centered on the divine feminine in her literature, and wrote for Black readers, her attraction to Catholicism makes perfect sense. Uh, Could you unpack that a little bit more?
2: Yeah. So- in the book I talk about the fact I talk about some differences between being a Protestant being a Catholic I mean I grew up as a Protestant not as a Catholic but I think for Morrison she was not only drawn to some of the rituals of Catholicism which she really wouldn't have been exposed to going to not just the non-Catholic church but like a you know low church Christian <laughs> denomination she wouldn't have really seen all those rituals and ceremonies. So that was one reason she was drawn to it. And then also just the belief Catholics have in miracles. And it's not that Protestants don't believe in miracles, but I think we tend to look at miracles as something in the past, as something in ancient times, whereas Catholics, if there's a statue, if there's a report of a statue of the Virgin Mary crying or... Bleeding or something like that, the Catholic Church will actually investigate that. I think for Protestants, that's not really, you know, belief in miracles. It's, it's not that we don't believe in it, but I wouldn't say there's as much of an emphasis on that. And I think Toni Morrison, having grown up in a family who wasn't just religious, but they also did believe in things that would be considered magic or miracles or all of the above, I think it made sense for her. To be drawn to Catholicism.
1: You mentioned in your book that Toni Morrison didn't often talk very publicly about her faith. She kind of wanted to protect that from from public scrutiny. But she does she does talk about being very comfortable with the aesthetics, which some people might you know interpret to be oh it's a more superficial uh, kind of faith. But I, I, that doesn't seem right to me. And I'm wondering why do you think that? aspect of the faith was so important to her as, as a person and, and as a writer.
0: We should, I, I was stunned. I, when I read in your book, you mentioned that um, she had kind of a crisis of faith after Vatican II because she really was attached to the Latin so much, Yes. <laughs> um, which I was like, Whoa, was not expecting that.
2: Yeah. So the line about the aesthetics, I think she was saying in the beginning of her journey as a Catholic, right? So probably as a child, as a teenager, I think she was more into the aesthetics back then, but she grew into being a very serious Catholic. She took her faith very seriously when she had her two sons. She had them baptized in the Catholic Church. But religion, while it's in all of her books, it's not something she was asked about as much, nor is it something that she, you know, discussed as much. And I think. One of her books that was pretty explicitly religious, which is Paradise, which came out in 1997, some people even criticized the book for its religious content. And I think she expected it and commented on on some of the criticism she faced for kind of having this overtly religious book, or at least a book that overtly dealt with these different religious themes.
0: You sort of open this, uh, your original America essay with the question of, you know, can we consider Toni Morrison a Catholic writer for for a number of reasons? It's kind of like, you know, questioned. But I feel like there are other writers who have sort of like, you know, unique relationships to the Catholic Church that we sort of, you know, gloss over or take for granted, you know, when considering them a Catholic writer or not. And I'm wondering what you think about that, the general debate about whether or not to consider her a Catholic writer and, and what's behind that?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are authors like Flannery O'Connor, Every, everyone thinks of Flannery O'Connor as being a Catholic author. I think, again, with Morrison, it was something I, I read dozens of interviews just in researching my book, and it just doesn't seem like it was a question that she got. A lot, but it you know, but it's in there, sometimes it's just a passing reference in the bluest eye. there are references to nuns in her follow up book to that Sula. There's many different references, not just to kind of Protestant black churches but also to the Virgin Mary, but it's not necessarily in your face, and so I think if you're not looking for it or if you don't you know belong to any religious faith or Christian faith or Catholicism, you may not pick up on it. So I don't think she's hitting you over the head with it, but I think her identity as a black woman writer kind of eclipsed her identity um, as a Catholic, at least in terms of the press, Not certainly not in her personal life where, you know, she's quoted as saying she took her faith seriously for years and years and years.
0: Right. Maybe let's focus in on those other two parts of her identity because she is someone um, you write who is, you know, sort of unapologetically writing uh, as a Black woman and for a Black audience. Some of the things that are carried in her writing, you mentioned a lot of West African spiritual traditions that get passed on. Um, what? How does that play into her work and, and where does that turn up in her novels?
2: So I think that's also something that's you can find in all of her novels. So she has whether they're, you know, Protestant, Black preachers, whether they are, you know, the occasional nun who who pops up. She also has these kind of African-American healing women who are, you know, they have embraced healing traditions that can be traced back to West Africa. So the first such woman appears in the bluest eye. There's a, a character in the book who gets sick and... People are praying for her, and then they go to I think the town doctor, the town minister, no one can really heal this woman. And then they reach out to this healing woman who lives in the woods, which is kind of like even a biblical trope, right? The person who lives in the in the wilderness. So this woman's living in the wilderness, she's very in tune, you know, with spirituality, with her intuition, with healing and um, she gives the the sick woman some advice. So there's always these kind of healing women, and some of their methods of healing, um, I would say, are rooted in West Africa. But at the same time, um, these women typically also have a strong Christian faith as well. So it's not either or, it's both. And I would say that that's based on Toni Morrison's own family members, her mother, her grandmother, and other family members. Um, her One of her grandmothers was a midwife, for example, and I think a lot of the characters are based on women she knew in real life.
1: Yeah, do you think that syncretism is in tension with what makes these novels have a, a Catholic feel or, or as part of it?
2: That they are part of it. I don't feel like Morrison kind of sees them as opposing forces because I think the women she grew up with, um, didn't see them as opposing forces. So her mother and other family members, I mean, they believe that they had visitations from ghosts. One story that Morrison talked about was the fact that she and her sister, when they were very small children were exposed to tuberculosis, but her mother, you know, something told her, do not put her in a sanatorium, even though that's what the doctors wanted. And so she listened to kind of her sixth sense, didn't put her daughters in this sanatorium during a time, this was the 1930s, when there was no cure for tuberculosis yet. And you likely, you know, you had about a 50-50 chance of surviving if you had been placed in one. And her mother chose not to, they survived. And so Morrison grew up looking at you know, her mother's intuition, the ghost stories her mother and other people told. You know, she grew up considering these really powerful women, and she believed that there were human experiences, feelings, gut instincts, whatever you want to call them, that could not be explained by science. And that's reflected in her writing and her characters as well.
0: You you highlighted something that I thought was really interesting, where Morrison points out that some of these beliefs are, are not really new or even unique to to Black people, but because they're, um, how does she put it? Uh, discredited? They're they come, Yes, coming from discredited people that they often get these labels of superstition or magic. Um, whereas at other times in history, you see Catholicism blending with other cultures in ways that's a bit more, uh, I guess, like amicable. The racial element there I thought was really, really fascinating.
2: Yeah. I mean, and and she kind of had a, a conflict with the term magic. Sometimes she would use the word magic in her personal life when she was giving interviews. Magic is a term that pops up in her books. Yet at the same time, she had this concern, like you mentioned, about the fact that these were valid spiritual traditions. So the spirituality of, you know, different West African peoples, that those were just as valid as any other faith tradition but because those people had been discredited their beliefs had kind of just been dismissed as magic as belief in magic as opposed to a legitimate religious faith so she had some concerns about that she also had concerns about her novels being considered magical realism because she believed Her characters were reflecting the beliefs that many African American people had um, when she was growing up and that they weren't magical realism. The magic in her books reflects the actual things that people believed in. And it wasn't a literary device.
0: Now, what do you know about what her relationship was to the institutional church as she continued her career as a writer? I
2: don't know. We don't know a whole lot just because she didn't go into detail about it. But I mean, she was concerned about Vatican II, about, you know, services no longer being given in Latin. That was something, I guess, that really made her upset. We know that she said that she was really serious about her faith for a long time but at a certain point she started to fall away she didn't exactly say when that was but what she did say is that pope francis could lure her back so she was a really ardent admirer of pope francis she liked him a lot and so one of the last interviews she gave she talked about how the ways that he's kind of been an unconventional Pope is something that was attracting her back to the church. So when she died, it's hard to say exactly, you know, where she was, I guess I wouldn't describe her completely as a lapsed Catholic, but I think she was a Catholic who maybe wasn't as serious as she had been when she was younger, but she was still a believer, I would say. You know, there's this Bible verse that says, um, you know, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I think she might have been kind of there, you know, when, when she died.
1: What do you think about this? I think maybe it's unique to the Catholics in the United States where for so long we've been kind of like living in a Protestant country. And so there's this desire to like claim Catholics to make sure that everyone knows that we're contributing to politics and arts and whatnot. Do you think that's a healthy instinct from your perspective as an outsider to the church? (laughs) (laughs) To to want to claim Catholics?
2: I mean, I think, you know, marginalized groups do that all the time. So yeah, whether it has to do with religion or race or gender, you know, whatever it is, or just coming from a certain town that maybe has been overlooked, that people always want to claim those individuals. So a lot of people are surprised when they find out that Morrison was a Catholic. So it's something that I I think comes across as a a pleasant surprise to fellow Catholics when, when they find out that she was one too, just because it it wasn't really discussed. When I wrote the article for America, for example, I think my article was like one of the few that even mentioned that. And then upon her death, you saw a lot of articles that actually piggybacked on my article discussing her Catholicism, but that conversation just wasn't really happening when she was alive,
0: so. Fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's,
0: (laughs) yeah. Wanna ask you about the the role of memory in Morrison's work. I was thinking about this while reading your book um and researching some stuff on um beloved. And it seems to me that it's like really important to for Morrison to kind of really look at slavery and what that did to black people in this country and how those stories kind of um developed. And the church is at a place right now, the Catholic Church, of the United States, where it's trying to grapple with its role in slavery. And I was thinking about the way that we use memory typically in the in, in the church. It's always like we look back at the tradition, and we always and we always look at the good things. We're always like, "Oh, that was a you know a, a saint, so we should follow their example." Or tradition is always de facto a good thing, and we always have to like you know learn from it in that sense. But Morrison sort of is like willing to look at all of the ugly parts too, right? Like she has all of these characters who have horrible things happen to them and do horrible things too. What's Toni Morrison's like, I guess, philosophy on memory and the and what it does to us as a living people?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think her her interest in memory to me is is also very Christian. I think it's related to trauma that I guess if if we don't look back on these painful memories especially in beloved they will kind of continue to haunt us which literally happens to a character in beloved who's haunted um by her daughter and so memory is something you know it's a sign that we need to look back on our trauma we need to address that we need to heal that whether that is you know related to something that happened to an individual or to a group of people, in the case of African Americans um, and enslavement, and so I think Toni Morrison has also had her critics. Um, people like the late Stanley Crouch, he he was a critic of hers. He thought she focused too much on you know traumatic events, um, dysfunctional families, just kind of these you know, ugly parts of life that other people really wouldn't necessarily want to focus on. But she said that she did that because, you know, she was interested in, in doing that and providing kind of a path for others to look at and to heal. And the reason I guess I consider that to be pretty Christian is because it, it kind of emulates what Jesus said about, you know, being being here to heal the sick, as opposed to the people who, you know, they didn't need healing. I think as an author, Morrison was very focused on those who needed healing. So whether it was the traumatized little girl in the bluest eye, you know, to the traumatized woman um, of
1: beloved. Yeah, that kind of gets to the next question I wanted to ask Uh, her books, as we've said, often center. Black female characters and often kind of prophetic female voices and yeah so I'm wondering do you see her as kind of one of those characters in our own you know still very male dominated society and church yeah,
2: I don't know if I see her as being like prophetic. And that's just because she never said that she had any of those gifts. She, Whenever she talked about having any sort of spiritual gifts, she always connected those to other family members. But we definitely know that the women in her life, her mother, you know, grandmothers, aunts, even her father, she discusses in that context as, as well, at least as being a storyteller. And um, passing down some traditions,
1: now, I guess I was thinking more, of, you know, you know, in the biblical prophetic tradition of prophets being people who look at the society around them and and call out injustice where where they see it, so not necessarily the more maybe mystical uh, side of that. Um, so yeah, did I guess where did she see her role in in that?
2: I see. Yeah, I mean, I would say she was prophetic. When we look at a book like The Bluest Eye and some of the issues that deals with, such as colorism within the African-American community, um, child abuse, sexual abuse, I mean, these are all topics that we continue to discuss today, you know? So in that sense, she wrote that book in 1970, so 51 years ago, and much of the content it's not a book I necessarily like to go back to because it is kind of disturbing, but much of the content is very much relevant today.
0: I mean, and she was actively engaged in, I mean, conversations up until her death, right? I remember it was, or you point out in the book, after former President Trump was elected, she wrote an essay for The New Yorker about um, his de- very frequent instances of racism in his own life. Um, so she was like constantly still pointing that out. You mentioned that the novel was... Morrison's sort of preferred way of, of of doing this right telling these stories passing on these traditions having these conversations. I'm curious what you think were the most interesting thing is happening there is it still the novel, or is it the serialized Netflix TV uh, drama, or is it podcasting, or what, what? what has the most effect do you think
2: yeah for the younger generation. It's hard to say. I mean, it could be something like TikTok or YouTube, right? It may not even be, we may be beyond the serialized show on Netflix. And the only reason I mentioned, you know, TikTok or YouTube, just because, you know, you can pass a lot, especially TikTok, people, a, a lot of people who are interested in history, there's history teachers who are going on there and breaking down very complex topics in you know, a very short amount of time, and and kids are paying attention and using that to do their homework. So, yeah, I, I definitely don't think it's the novel anymore. I don't know if that's something to be sad about or not. So, I think social media might be the way we learn about um, some of those folk tales and other traditions that Morrison she wanted to make sure younger generations knew about and passed on. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we won't let Zach and our readers off the hook. They should still read her novels. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Nadris, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We do have one final question that we ask all of our guests, and that is if you could canonize one person, uh, Catholic or not, living or dead, fictional or real, who would it be and why? You know,
2: there's one woman I, I wrote about in the book, um, Henriette de Lille. And I guess if, if she were canonized, she would be the first um, African-American saint. So I think it would be really interesting to see if that happened. We, we haven't seen that before. And she was someone, we're not exactly sure about her origins, but I mean, she dedicated her life to really serving marginalized people and reached out to to other women of color and kind of played a crucial role and then becoming nuns and being involved in the Catholic Church in other ways. So I guess I would say, I would say her.
0: Okay, Henriette DeLille. All right. Nadra, thanks so much again. Um, and for our listeners, the book is Toni Morrison's Spiritual Vision, Faith, Folk Tales, and Feminism in Her Life and Literature by Nadra Niddle. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes. Congratulations again.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so thanks, much.
2: Nadra. I will make it easy for you now. Mm-hmm.
0: you got two minutes of my time. And I don't really break too easily, but I'm
1: worth it because I slipped your dreams tonight. Oh, so gimme,
0: so your mind. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Cristobal Spielman. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup S. J. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook also at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. So please subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, and if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a review. That would really help us out. Jesuitical is recorded in the William J. Locher Studio at America Media in New York City. For America Media, I'm Zach Davis, and we will see you next week.